1: One reason that the Psalms may be so beloved among Bible readers is that for the most part the Psalms were written very simply and they're easy to understand. The psalmists often had problems and distresses that we can relate to, and they came to seek the Lord out of these troubles. But if you contrast this to the way the New Testament is written, there's a big difference. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. He also had problems and was frequently in distress. But he didn't speak of these troubles in the same way. His language was on a higher plane. Great is the mystery of godliness, Paul writes, who was manifested in the flesh. Well, surely this refers to Christ, and Paul's focus was always, always, always on this Christ, who not only manifested God in his own flesh, but is waiting to manifest himself in our flesh, even through the most difficult of circumstances. Bill Lawson has joined us as we continue our journey through the Psalms, and we come, Bill, to uh, a long section, 17 Psalms in all, 25 through 41. And uh, this is a section of the Psalms where David's expressions are quite mixed, isn't it?
2: They really are, Chris. He really opens up his heart, in a sense, and kind of pours out his feelings, his considerations, his thoughts. They are really sentiments Uh, Brotherly uses the word sentiments, which very clearly express what David was going on inside. Of course, expressions are more outward. Sentiments really uh, open up our inward feelings. And David, in these 17 Psalms 25-41, through really is pouring out his heart in a lot of feelings here. But as we'll see, you know, some of these feelings are natural, some are absolutely divine. So it's, it's a real mixture here between, in a sense, the Old Testament way of thinking in God's economy in the New Testament.
1: And that, I think, is a good, uh, very good lead-in, actually, to where we're going to be today. We're going to see this contrast once again, and believing that this mixture, part of the divine record, all divinely chosen words to illustrate even the mixture that's frequently in us, Bill, as we approach the Lord, as we approach our relationship with Him, and even how we see ourselves in relationship to Him. And I I really pray that we get uh, some very direct speaking from the Lord and some very a clear light from the Holy Spirit to bring us into an unmixed situation. And God needs this from his people today, doesn't
2: he? He really does. Like you say, we look at so many things, Chris, with a lens of ourself, what we are going through, what we're passing through. uh, We bemoan this situation. We consider that situation. But not until we really get into, especially the apostle Paul in the New Testament, do we see Paul's view. He has a lens of God's economy. Yeah. God wants Christ to be everything to us. This is really a contrast here.
1: Okay, let's begin. Um, We want to come uh, in this first section to one of the early psalms in this group of 17, Psalm 26. And here we clearly can see this matter of the mixture, and we're going to add a verse from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, again, to bring out the contrast in a very clear way. All right, David here, he prays, Judge me, O Jehovah, for I have walked in my integrity and in Jehovah I have trusted I will not waver examine me o Jehovah and try me test my inward parts and my heart so David is asking the Lord here Bill to judge him examine him try him and test him according to his integrity now the contrast the apostle Paul in Galatians 2:20 I am crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Well, Witness Lee will help us to see this contrast, I think, very clearly. Here he is with our first section.
3: Psalm 25 to Psalm 41 contain a lot of mixed expressions. Some are spiritual some are even divine, and some are so natural. David says, God guides and teaches the lowly ones his laws, commandments, statutes, and ordinances. So this is law. Let me tell you, the Lord Jesus would not teach you anything about the Ten Commandments because He is inner law the law of the kingdom of the heavens is much higher, much deeper than the Ten Commandments. I respect David very much. He was very, very spiritual in a sense. But he was not that much to the standard of God's economy. And God's economy is not to make us a good man. G-O-O-D. And God's economy is to make us a God-man. Amen. Amen. Regardless of how you are good, as long as you are not God-man, you are not up to the center of God's economy. Now we come to Psalm 26. Psalm 26 is in asking God to judge him, to examine him, to try him, and to test him. What is within me worthwhile for God to examine? Who dares to ask god Come and judge me and examine me and try me and test me. Are you worthy for God to try you? Defects, shortcomings, wrongdoings, offenses, transgressions, trespasses, evils, iniquity, sin and sins. These things are in you. Not only so, defilement, dirty, rottenness, corruptions. What is still within you? Contact them. But all the readers of the Psalms love this expression. Oh Jehovah, judge me. <laughs> this is all Old Testament terms. The New Testament terms is this I have been crucified with Christ. It is no more I that live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified. I have been buried. I was just a corpse. Lord, I, I am good for nothing but death. But thank you that you have crucified me on the cross. And in baptism, I have been buried. Now, it should not be me. It should not be I that live. But you live in me. What a difference.
1: bill this is contrast here is so striking both david and paul spiritual men no doubt about it but one clearly on one line and the other on a completely different line paul would never pray lord judge me and examine me according to what i am he had the realization didn't he that he was good only for one thing and that was to be buried and crucified with the lord jesus christ
2: really so if you look at Paul's credentials, you know, before he was regenerated and converted on his way to Damascus, in a sense, he was probably a lot like David. And maybe at that point in his life, (laughs) he probably was praying, Lord, judge me, you know, search me. I know I'm bad, but uh, there's some good things in me too. I mean, he's probably trying (laughs) to get God to acknowledge or confirm that there were some good things in him. But Paul, after he was saved and and the Lord was revealed in him and he began to live Christ, then Paul realized he could not say for one minute for the Lord to search him and try him to find something good. He just could say, "I am crucified with Christ, that I that's full of integrity, full of uprightness, wanting to be proven that at least something good to me that i Paul is saying is crucified with Christ, is buried. It's a marvelous contrast between Paul and David.
1: This long list that he gave us uh, sounds almost depressing, What corruption and evil and sin and transgression and trespass. But really, before God, there's not one righteous, is there, other than the one.
2: Well, even Paul, in the first part of Romans, he talks about there's none righteous. You know, he's, he spends a, what the first three or four chapters in Romans saying that I come from a Jewish background, there's, nothing is good. If I'm a Gentile, uh, just corruption. Uh, there's a judgment on the whole world totally. Whether I'm a Jew, a Gentile, the whole world is under God's judgment. He just said there's none righteous, not even one. This is Paul now after he receives the Lord. So we need to acknowledge this point in the New Testament that we are good for nothing but death and burial, to be crucified, buried, and then resurrected with Christ as our new life?
1: I think a frequently built New Testament believers, we have a kind of a realization that God has uh, terminated us or that we were buried in baptism. But then uh, do we not often have the, the idea, at least the natural thought, Bill, that but our good things were resurrected? Right. But actually, our good self, as well as our evil, corrupt, rotten self, was all left in the tomb, wasn't it?
2: Right. Whether on the good side or on the evil side, the flesh, because the flesh is not only uh, evil in the scriptures, the flesh can be the good flesh. So, whether the good flesh, our good qualities, our good points, all of it, is worthy of nothing but death and burial the lord doesn't want the good side neither of course does he want the the evil side he just wants christ to be wrought into us and christ to be enjoyed by us experienced by us gained by us and this is god's economy in the new testament
1: let's go on to the next psalm 27 first two verses here Again, David is beseeching Jehovah because of um, his distressed situation. He's being pursued. He's being sought after by his enemies, his adversaries. And he's appealing to the Lord to deliver him, to save him out of this. But again, all based on the fact that in his own eyes, he was a man of integrity where his enemies were the evil ones. And uh, you can see that tone kind of permeate these words, these uh, mixed sentiments as we heard Witness Lee describe them. Jehovah is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jehovah is the strength of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come near me to devour my flesh, it is they, my adversaries, and my enemies who stumble and fall.
2: As if David never stumbled and fell.
1: (laughs) 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 Or was never an evildoer. Right. Okay, here's Witness Lee once again.
3: Psalm ten seven is David's mixed expressions in trusting in God for his protection and deliverance. From his enemies. He talks a lot about his enemies. He believed that he would be delivered because he trusted in God. He asked God to redeem him because of his integrity. This is an insult to God. If we are working in integrity, we are absolutely pure, we don't need redemption. Do you believe that God preserved and delivered David because of his integrity? I must tell you, God preserved David and delivered David for God's purpose. In the Old Testament economy, God needs a man like David. He's not that pure. Even God said in 1 King 15, God says, David is a man after my heart. But only one thing I cannot forget. He murdered Uriah and robbed his wife, Bathsheba. Even in Matthew 1, in the genealogy of Christ, still he says, David begat a sin of the wife of Uriah. This is not a nice expression. So He's not absolutely pure, absolutely perfect. No, he doesn't have this gratification. None among us has this gratification. Oh, God, redeem me because I am the foremost sinner. This was Paul's word. Lord Jesus, I need your redemption because I am a sinful person. This is the right attitude. Every one of God's elect should confess I have been crucified with Christ. No more I that live, but Christ lives within me. Even I now live, not by my faith, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. If we Christians do have such a view in Revelation, I think our attitude, our appreciation of the Psalms will be absolutely
1: different a couple of things here again uh, really strike me Bill um, on the one hand if we could approach God on the basis of our integrity let's say we're as upright as, as you said Saul of Tarsus that's Paul before his uh, conversion let's say we're that upright which uh, I don't know about you but I, I, I would not qualify Wow! and we approach God and said save me because of my integrity or because of my uprightness, not only are we blind and are missing the reality of our own situation, but greater, what an insult Mm -hmm. to God, especially in light of all he has done to affect our real redemption.
2: Right. We just don't see many times, or most of the time, we don't see who we are or how corrupted we became because of the fall. We only see our good points. We don't see that much. We're blinded, as you're saying, Chris. So many times we approach God based upon our own righteous view of ourself. And if we approach God in that way, why would God even redeem us? Why would he become a man to die for us, uh, to redeem us? His redemption is based you know, upon his righteousness. His blood was shed to save us, to redeem us, not based on any goodness that we have. It absolutely is based on the, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, and uh, he is the one you know, that has done everything for us and is doing everything within us according to his economy.
1: So, Bill, now bring us back into the New Testament view, the New Testament economy. Here's Paul, Mm -hmm. who says he's, what, at least among all of the saints, taking a completely different view, but with his focus, his view, Christ ultimately living in him.
2: Of course, you have Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant that God would make with his people, and that was fulfilled in the New Testament uh, when Christ came, right? Right was crucified, became the life-giving spirit in resurrection, imparted his life into us, which includes the law of the spirit of life that now is within all the regenerated believers. Paul there now is saying that Christ is supreme in god 's economy it 's no longer a matter, Chris, of our integrity, our trying to be good, our even after we become believers, trying to you know be also good that we couldn 't do before asking God for help in trying to be a better person now it 's absolutely a matter of Christ. Uh, revealed in us, Christ living in us, Christ being formed in us, Christ Mm. gained by us day by day. It's really a matter in the New Testament of manifesting God in our humanity, or God manifested in the flesh. God wants to work Christ into us, build Christ into us, and build us into Christ, that he may have a testimony on the earth today. And that integrity, uprightness, all of these virtues will be there, but not something that we can do, but it's based on the very expression of the Christ that is wrought into us, Christ that is lived out of us, and then integrity, honesty, uprightness, all the human virtues will be there because Christ himself is the very one being lived out of us, and that is God's economy.
1: Wow. So rather than our uprightness, our integrity being manifested, it's really Christ himself as the fulfillment of all of these things in God's economy that's being manifested even ultimately out of us. And that is uh, exactly what we're going to hear developed in this uh, final segment today. You already mentioned Jeremiah 31. We'll hear Witness Lee make that reference. Let me give you a couple of verses he will refer to, Bill, New Testament verses. 1 Corinthians one nine. God is faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship or you could say into the participation of his son Jesus Christ our Lord and then First Timothy 3.16 since you mentioned uh, this God being manifested in the flesh confessedly great is the mystery of godliness he who was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by angels preached among the nations believed on in the world and taken up in glory this is the ball that we need to keep our eye on Here's Witness Lee with our final segment.
3: There is no comparison between the Old Testament economy and God's New Testament economy. No comparison. The keeping of the law was the basic factor of the composition of the Psalms. That's a structure. But the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, told us already that God will make a new covenant. Not based upon the law of the letters, but based upon living law. A living law, which God will write into their being, to write the living law, the law of life, into the new type of believers, is just to put God into them, to be the law of life. Now we got what? We the dead people got made our and we got resurrected from the dead, and we got regenerated, And we became a new person. You read, you read Ephesians, and you read the first Corinthians, Maya. God has called us into the participation of his sin. We have been called by God to partake of Christ, to enjoy him. So, this Christ eventually becomes firstly our life, then our nature, uh, then even our person. Right? How about this? It's wonderful, really wonderful. The New Testament economy is really wonderful. Great is the mystery. What a mystery? The mystery of God and us. What is this? This is the manifestation of God. In the flesh. God manifested in the flesh. Isn't this wonderful? This is why I praise God, I thank God that we live in such an age. The age of the great mystery of Godliness. That is the age of God manifesting himself in our flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Bill, let's focus on this great mystery of godliness in this last uh, time of fellowship. Part of that great mystery, it seems to me, is that not only, of course, we realize Christ incarnated living on the earth, that was manifesting God in his flesh. Mm -hmm. But part of the great mystery that Paul's talking about is not just that, but the fact that ultimately this same Christ wants to be manifested in our flesh. Mm -hmm. How is this possible?
2: We have here, Chris, you know, like you say, God manifested in the flesh. That's the individual Christ. We know that, that this man, in his earthly ministry and so on on earth, he manifested God in divine attributes and human virtues. Here was God lived out of humanity. So. He set up a model. He's a pattern there. But it's not just that he himself would be this kind of person. After he established this pattern, set up this model, Hmm. he went into death, came out in resurrection, was transfigured to become the life-giving Spirit. Now, as the Spirit, he enters into all the believers in their regenerated Spirit. Then he wants to live this very life out of them that he himself lived. In other words, he wants to live it out again. He's good at it. He's good at being God. <laughs> yeah. So he wants to manifest this same godliness in us, not just in himself, but in a, a corporate group of believers, which ultimately, Paul says, is the church, the body of Christ. So that's a great mystery of godliness, is not just the individual person, but a corporate group of believers who also manifest God in the flesh. That means they live Christ, they live by Christ, they in Christ, Christ and they have one life and one living, and that is God manifested in their humanity.
1: Boy, yeah, that's marvelous. You see, <laughs> You made the point that uh, Christ is good at this. Uh, He is good at being God, and we are infinitely not good at it. And whenever we attempt it, I think uh, our end will be maybe not in the same degree, but at least in the same principle as David's murder, fornication, coveting, all these things just seem to spontaneously pop out of us. But what pops out of him are the virtues of the divine source from which he comes and brings to man What a view, God's economy, Bill. How could we ever exchange this for the Old Testament
2: economy of the law? That's why it's so important for us to see the New Testament economy of God. Then we realize, my, those ones in the Old Testament, on one hand, they tried to be upright and they tried to have a lot of integrity. But eventually, God has to bring us to the New Testament way. His economy is to work Christ into us, that he would be everything to us.
1: Good fellowship. I enjoyed this a lot. Hope you come back. We can do this again very soon, Bill.
2: Okay, very good. Good.
1: Uh, We also hope that you will uh, join us uh, day by day and follow along the best way according to our own experience and certainly our recommendation is that you get these printed life study messages so that you can dive into these riches uh, in more depth and more detail than we're able to do in these short radio programs. If you'd like to find out about how to get these printed volumes and all the other things we have available at Living Stream. Please call us toll free at 1 888 Life Study. That's 888 543 3788. Or send email to us. Our email address is just radio at lsm.org. Join us again in the next program as we continue our Life Study of the Book of Psalms with Bill Lawson and Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening today.
0: The Gospel of John unveils the New Testament reality of the types of Christ conveyed in the Old Testament tabernacle and offerings. The reality of the five main offerings in Leviticus serve as the examples in the first 12 chapters of John, and in chapters 13 through 17, the Gospel of John unveils the New Testament reality of the type of the tabernacle. The fulfillment of the tabernacle and the offerings in the writings of John is now available Get your copy today by calling 1-800-549-5164.